How many of you could picture yourself as a kid watching the Charlie Brown Christmas special during that song? Yeah. Um, that's, that's when you only got to watch cartoons like weekly or annually, you know, now it's 24 seven, but anyway, um, yeah, it's just funny how that kind of takes us back. That has absolutely nothing to do with what we're going to talk about this morning. All right. Hey, we've been talking about the last couple of weeks and this season of Advent, um, how there is an adventurous component to Advent, and uh, the the steps that we can take are going to pull us out of the norm for ourselves, and we are stepping into something that's much bigger than us. Um, the first week was the adventure of discovering a strength that we didn't know we had, and as we are holding on to the Lord who was holding on to our future, we just, we can't begin to comprehend all of the great things that could take place in this adventure. Um, Last week, we talked about how a tragic adventure is one that is left incomplete. Um, it's one that, in which we are left distanced from God. And so um, we need to allow Jesus to uproot and clear away anything that stands between him and an adventure with us. And then this week, I want us to see the adventure of living for something beyond ourselves, for living for something for, that is just so much bigger than, than your life, than my life. And this is when our eyes are opened up to really how big and expansive this adventure will be. Um, and my wife and I had a chance eight or nine years ago to go to Israel. And when we were there, uh, the, our tour guide took us to the steps that led to the south gate. And now it is no longer a gate there, but the steps are still there. And this was the primary entrance where thousands of Jews would enter into Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and to worship. Oftentimes they, uh, they would be walking for days, weeks on a pilgrimage to, uh, to participate in certain feasts, uh, particularly three times out of the year. But um, as they would approach these southern stairs, this is what they would see. This isn't just like a regular staircase. And I realized earlier this week, this is two weeks in a row that I've talked about staircases. Um, there's some kind of a theme here, but th they have absolutely nothing to do with each other. The, um, the stairs, don't think of a staircase. These were 200 feet wide, these stairs were. So it's a, just a huge set of stairs. And they were hewn out of the large stones that the city was built on. But there was a very unique um, quality to these steps, and that is that they were cut unevenly. So some steps were deeper than others. Uh, some were taller than others. Um, it's obvious that they did not pull permits when they, <laughs> when they did this. Um, Jesus himself would have entered into the city by way of these steps. And it just looked like, um, just with this, um, just this unpredictable pattern, it kind of reminded me of a bad game of Jenga or something like that. And uh, so I got to walk up those steps. And the, of course, the question that we had for our tour guide was, why are these steps un uneven? Had just the elements taken their toll over the centuries, what's going on? And he said that they were unpredictable steps for a very specific reason. And one of those reasons, he said, was, um, was to help people as they were going into the city. Now, it would seem weird to say we're helping people with unpredictable steps, but this is what I want you to picture. Um, people arrive at the holy city. 
Um, they're there to worship, to offer sacrifices. Um, they were probably with other people. But in this, they could not just casually walk up the stairs. They couldn't be really involved in conversations with one another. Uh, they were forced to slow down and pay attention to every step. Now, being from Missouri, the show me state, I had to put this to the test. And I thought, I wonder if I could kind of quickly go up these stairs without really paying attention. And the answer is no, um, you, you can't. I actually, I tried to look up and go up these steps and I'm sure it was a little comical to watch. But um, the, our tour guide was right. Unless you wanted uh, to roll an ankle or something, uh, what you needed to do was to slow down and pay attention, which was the point. When you are approaching God, we are invited to slow down and to pay attention. We would be wise to pay attention to our steps, to consider our way of life, even our pace of life, just as these were not steps that you would just haphazardly run up. Um, there is something um, in them inherently where we would be invited to slow down. And so this adventure of taking part in a God-sized work I want us to kind of see this in two parts. And we're going to go back to Luke chapter 3 and pick up with uh, where we were last week. This crazy guy, John the Baptist, is preaching a, a sermon, this message, and it kind of has these two parts. And this first part, I want us to picture, he is kind of describing the way in which we would ascend those stairs. Now, this is not what he is referring to, but there is um, in him, you're going to see, he is saying, hey, slow down. Pay attention to the way that you are approaching God. And so I'm going to be reading from the message translation, um, and uh, you can follow along. It's, I'm going to begin in verse 7, and it will be up here on the screens. When crowds of people came out for baptism, because it was the popular thing to do, John exploded. Brood of snakes. How's that for, he doesn't have a welcome home sign, okay, um, anywhere he says, brood of snakes, what do you think you're doing slithering down here to the river? Do you think a little water on your snake skins is going to deflect God's judgment? It's your life that must change, not your skin. And don't think you can pull rank by claiming Abraham as your father. Being a child of Abraham is neither here nor there. Children of Abraham are a dime a dozen. God can make children from stones if he wants. What counts is your life. Is it green and blossoming? Because if it's dead wood, it goes on the fire. So there were people, this is kind of the scene, there were people rushing down to the river to be baptized. And I guess John kind of made this parallel of uh, like in snakes fleeing a brush fire. And he realized that these people were basically looking for their fire insurance. They wanted to make sure that they themselves would be okay for eternity. And what he's saying is, hey, you got to slow down here, and you need to pay attention to how you approach God. Now, th just, again, he was, just his wording, he doesn't pull any punches, okay? Um, in some of our uh, discussion notes for this week, it'll give you a chance to kind of compare and contrast the way John preaches a message, which is uh, maybe very different from the way that you would want to hear a message on a Sunday morning. Um, for those of you that are kind of familiar with different styles of church, he was the initiator of the seeker insensitive church. And uh, 
Now, to understand this, you have to know his audience. He wasn't talking to people that had never been to the synagogue or the temple. He is talking to those people who grew up for several generations. These people knew the scriptures. Many of them had memorized the scriptures. They were regular in offering their sacrifices. They were people who grew up in the Torah belt, if you can kind of make that analogy with the Bible belt here. Um, And John is saying, you of all people should know better. The fruitlessness of your life speaks to your lack of repentance and weak faith. Now, he is kind of seeing through their actions and what has taken place, and he discerned the difference between um, an act of safety, as they were looking out for themselves, as opposed to an act of repentance that leads to good works. This word repentance is used a lot in the New Testament, And it always means uh, something along the lines of to have a change of perspective, to see things differently. Um, Instead of seeing things this way, you're going to turn in your mind and see things as God sees them. It means we're going to see ourselves as God sees us. We're going to see the world around us as God sees us. And even we will begin to see God as he sees us. Um, There must be an internal change with this repentance. John is saying there's got to be something on the inside of you that is different. He goes on to say in verse 16 of Luke 3, I am baptizing you here in the river, the main character in this drama, to whom I'm a a mere stagehand, will ignite the kingdom life of fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. So it begins by allowing God to do this internal work. This is this, this, this phase, this step of the adventure is something that takes place in us. Now I'm not saying that the internal work has to completely take place in us before we move on to the next part, but we do have to open up our hearts. We have to open up our lives in a way that we are agreeing with God that there are areas of our life that need to be transformed that there are parts of us that approach God with selfish motives. Um, There are parts of us that don't want to approach God, and we need to look within ourselves. And for this to happen, you understand the importance. I hope, hope we can understand the importance that this is not something that we can just do as we are rushing through life. We are invited to slow down and to pay attention as we take steps towards God, there is a a necessity for us to be still. And this is very countercultural. We want to um, probably acknowledge, okay, I, I, I agree I'm not perfect. There's some things that need to change. But are we willing to do the difficult work of just being still in God's presence? Not defending ourselves, not excusing ourselves, not occupying our minds with something else so that we don't have to think about it, just being still in the presence of a God who loves us and wants to forgive us. Um, I think I've shared this story before. I was, um, was in seminary. I was sitting in my, uh, in my apartment, and the, uh, the ceiling fan had been going since I moved into that apartment, and by now it's like several months later, later on into the semester, and I had some kind of a cold sinus infection. So for the first time, I turned the ceiling fan off. And when I turned it off and it finally came to a, a, 
a point where it stopped, I couldn't believe the amount of dust that had built up on the fan blades. Does that amaze anybody else how that happens? If it's moving all the time, how does dust settle on a moving blade? And in my bachelorness, I just figured the way to, to get the dust off was to turn it on high and fling it off. <laughs> Which didn't, which didn't work. Now, I'm sure some of you know how that happens. There's like a static charge in the air. And da, 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 I don't, for the sake of my illustration, I, I don't care. Okay. Um, <laughs> all I know is that I looked at that ceiling fan and I was amazed that it had been doing this nonstop for months, yet it accumulated some dirt and dust. And this is our life, isn't it? We're spinning, we're doing good things? Do you realize we can even do what we were created to do? And maybe that's why some of us don't want to stop doing at times, because when we're still, that's when we notice there's just some things that have built up on our heart. There's some things in our life that ought not be. And sometimes we respond to that by saying, well, I'm just going to do more. (laughs) And we turn our fans on high, thinking we're just going to fling all this stuff off. But God invites us to be still. And I think uh, you would recognize this as being pretty important. The best way to clean a ceiling fan is when it's off. (laughs) Okay? It's probably the safest way to do it. Um, There is a way in which we need to just be still. We need to kind of turn some things off and say, okay, God, here I am. This is that slow, intentional approach up the stairs. This is where we can kind of say, okay, there is some repenting and some internal work that needs to be done. So this first half of the adventure is walking up the stairs, slowly paying attention, opening our hearts to God. So what's the second part? Well, the second part is where the stairs being um, intentionally uneven is helpful is not only does it slow us down on the way up, But it prepares us as we leave Jerusalem. It prepares us as we leave a sacred moment and we go back out into the world from which we came. It causes us to slow down and to really think about where are we going to? Where do these stairs lead? Because once these people left the holy city, after they made their sacrifices and they engaged in worship, they went back to their jobs. They went back to their villages. They went back to their towns um, and continued on in their life as normal with, with, in their neighborhoods. We, re- we approach God with a repentant heart. He does this internal work. And then we... I don't want to use the word descend back into the world because that makes it sound like we're up here. But again, just using the analogy of the stairs, we descend and we serve. But even this cannot be rushed into. We approach people in need with the same characteristics that we applied in our ascent. Slowing down, noticing each step, and paying attention. Let me just kind of describe three ways that this helps us when we walk back down the stairs. First of all, as we go back and re-engage with the world, we pause to consider the needs of others rather than rushing in with what you feel like doing. In our life groups, we encourage um, the use of silence. 
we encourage people to just be still. When someone has, has voiced something, um, has uh, just very vulnerably laid something out about a, just a heartbreak in their life, um, we don't feel like it's our job to rush in with words and to fix. Sometimes we just kind of hold that story and we honor that in the silence. And when we, um, when we seek to meet the needs of others, I think it's important that we consider their needs, not just how we would like to approach them, the method in which we would like to help them. Secondly, we walk slowly conscious of our own propensity to stumble. We are reminded um, that we too are fallen and we too are broken as we seek to meet the needs of others. And then finally, we pay attention to the ongoing presence of God who is prompting us to give generously to those that we meet who are in need. So who are the people around you that are in need? I'll answer that in one word. Everyone. (laughs) You realize that? Everyone you meet has a need. So do we spread ourselves thin? Do we make ourselves available to absolutely everyone? No, (laughs) I believe this is where slowing down and paying attention is so important. We pay attention to God's voice. We slow down and we're still so that we can feel the tap of his finger on our shoulder. And in his own unique way, we hear him saying, love these people. Be me to them. Be my hands and my feet. So John's message has this picture of repentance and transformation that leads people to accept the adventure of, of really the second half, which is living for the sake of others. And that's exactly what these people got. In verse 10, the crowd asked him, then what are we supposed to do? So in other words, they, they realize, okay, my approach to God has to change and there's going to be something internally that's done. Verse 10, so what are we supposed to do? And John gives them some specific um, things to do that uh, pertain to the type of people that are there. If you have two coats, give one away, he said. Do the same with your food. Tax men also came to be baptized and said, teacher, what should we do? He told them, no more extortion. Collect only what is required by law. Soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he told them, no shakedowns, no blackmail, and be content with your actions. So verse Eight in the NIV says this. It says to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So John is describing the fruit that these people should bear. As you present yourself before the Lord and he does an internal work in you, you go back out into the world and it's to bear fruit. There should be something that comes about as a result of this work that's taking place in you. Um, it could be in your mind that you see this as either or. Um, and it could just be based upon your, just what you have a propensity or a longing. Um, you could see it as either I am going to really devote my life to worshiping the Lord and, and prayer and Bible study, or I'm going to make myself available uh, to be on mission in this world around me. God never intended it to be either or. It's both and we are to seek him in such a way that what he does in us is something that we cannot keep to ourselves 
that we walk back out very carefully into this world, keenly aware of the people that God has placed in our path that have a need. If you spend more time sitting in a pew than you do rolling up your sleeves and descending the stairs into a world in need, then you don't understand the purpose of the pew. What we have put in each of these pews, and this might be startling for some of you, um, there is a large spring and a trigger plate just beneath you. (laughs) And I just kind of picture God's finger tripping that trigger plate and launching us back out into the world. Who are the people that God wants to reach through you? That is the adventure right there. When we give ourselves away for the sake of others, when we realize that we are holding on to the Lord to help us in this season of life, to do what he's called us to do, this is when we really sense that the adventure is taking place. I read this quote in a book earlier this week. The incarnation reminds us that we must learn how to be the people of God in a place, in a particular place. So what is your place? Where do your stairs lead? What John said convicted those people. It uh, set off that trigger plate in their minds, and they asked, well, then what should we do? Be the people of God in a place. What should we do? Be the people of God in your place. So there is this adventure of living for something beyond ourselves. And he spoke to different groups of people. He spoke just in general to the crowd. And he said, share food with the hungry. And he said, what you possess, use that to meet the needs of the people around you. Um, tax collectors were known as people who, who were working the system to line their own pockets. That was the work of tax collectors in that day. That's how they made a living. And so John is saying, live a life of honesty, not taking advantage of others. And he's talking to soldiers. And soldiers in that day, as you could guess, were people of power. They could threaten people. And John is saying, if you are in a position of power, utilize your influence for the sake of others, not to get your own way. So if you were there and you asked John, then what should I do? What would he say? What would be the specific thing that maybe John the Baptist would encourage you to do given your situation in life? I don't know specifically what that is, but it basically involves stepping outside of your bubble, taking your eyes off of yourself and giving your life away. And when you think about it, it's kind of strange that we don't want to do something that is going to bring such joy to other people. I don't know why we are slow sometimes to pick up on this. A life lived for the sake of others is a life of giving joy. And that's what we're talking about this year, this, this opportunity we have to give joy locally and around the, around the world. Could there be a greater adventure than giving your life away? Could there be a greater cause? You purchase gifts for kids who otherwise wouldn't experience the joy of Christmas. Can you think of a better way to use some of your money this year? You, you give joy by um, the work. You contribute to the work at this Mayfair house, which is a refuge for teens in a really rough neighborhood. This is a beacon of hope in a very dark area of our city. And we have an opportunity 
to, uh, to create uh, this environment where teenagers are having fun in a safe and life-giving way. And as Chris was just talking to us, and as we saw in this video, we can take part in supporting a disciple-making movement among, just in the midst of what is one of our greatest crises in our lifetime among humanity, a disciple-making movement among the refugees in the Sudan. How will you take part in something that is bigger than you? This is the adventure worth living for. Verse 18 of Luke 3 says, There was a lot more of this, words that gave strength to the people, words that put heart in them. When we give joy, we are doing just that. We are giving strength to people, and we are giving them heart. We are encouraging them, literally putting heart into them. Who are those people around you? And the answer to that question is your big adventure. Um, I'm going to ask uh, just our worship team to make their way up. And this is what I'd like for us to do. Um, instead of um, jumping right into the song, I want us to slow down for just a moment. And because I know in a warm room on a weekend when we slow down, um, I know what happens. <laughs> we would fall asleep. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. If you figured out how to stand and sleep, good for you. This is what I'd like for us to do. I just kind of want to guide us in a very brief time of prayer, okay? And to begin with, I want you to look down at your feet, because we're going to pay attention to steps. Look down at your feet. And I want you to begin by reflecting on the pace that is your life. Maybe it's not even just on the outside that you're rushing. It could be that inner drive. What's the pace of that been like lately? Imagine slowing down. Give yourself the grace of slowing down. And let's approach the Lord. What steps can you take this week what slow, intentional steps can you take this week that will bring you into the presence of God? You're going to have to choose this, not just hope that you get a break. How can you choose and set aside moments where you can slow down, where you turn the fan off and let your blades get still? Will your space of stillness be a distraction-free room in your house? Maybe it'll be an outdoor location in nature. In this time, will you ascend the steps, so to speak, by singing worship songs? Or maybe by sitting in reverent silence? Will you just in solitude read and meditate on a passage of scripture or do you dive into a fresh Bible study with a group of friends? In those moments, ask God to give you a fresh perspective. Invite him to do that internal transforming work. Invite him to do that beginning now. Now I want us to think about 
walking back down those stairs. Consider that God is inviting you to take part in an adventure bigger than yourself. And as you leave this worship service, you are going back into the world in which you live. What attentive, intentional steps can you take towards others? Is there a person's face that comes to mind right now that you can walk towards? And in a very practical way, show them the love of Jesus. And what ways do you need to slow down and listen to notice the needs of people around you? To take your eyes off yourself and to look, truly look at other people. How can you listen to those people and hear unspoken heartaches? And would you right now just ask God how he wants you to give? whether it's financially, giving your time, lending a listening ear, making a meal, whatever form it is, how would God like you to give joy in this Christmas season? Father, when I think of an adventure, especially a big one, I think of something with, it's just loud and fireworks and flashing lights Lord, let me never forget just how quietly your son's adventure began as a baby here on this earth. And he chose to live in relative obscurity. And as he walked this earth, he gave himself away over and over and over. And to this day, we are still receiving joy because of what he gave. And we say thank you. How can we quietly, reverently ascend the steps into your presence? How can we walk out these doors today and meet the needs of the people around us? May the adventure begin. It's in your name I pray.